I would like to read the passage and then we're just going to dive right into it. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. After he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who had been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The Journal of Pediatrics published a new study about how mobile devices are disrupting family relationships. I think we all could agree with that, right? The researchers spent time observing 55 families as they were dining in Boston area fast food restaurants. Guess who was the biggest culprit of mobile device abuse or distraction? Well, it wasn't, it wasn't the children. It wasn't the teenagers. It was the parents. It was the parents. I was out to dinner the other night, as a matter of fact, and there's a little restaurant. And I looked over, there's a table, a couple sat down, middle-aged couple, and you'd think they're out on a Friday night hanging out, and what do they both do? They grab their phones, and they're just literally sitting across from each other, and both are just doing like this. So, of course, no-brainer that because of this lack of attention or this distraction, children feel hurt. Children are the ones who suffer. Let me ask you something. What is one of the primary jobs of being a parent? Well, it's parenting, isn't it? So it's, it's connecting with your children. And here, these devices are distracting parents from doing what is their primary calling in life. That is being a parent. What is one of the primary jobs of the church of Jesus Christ? To be his, we just read it, his witnesses. The same thing can happen to the church of Jesus Christ. We can be distracted by things that pull our attention and pull our focus off what he has called us to do. And the ones who suffer are the people who aren't hearing the gospel because we're too busy doing everything else instead of being his witnesses. Some of those distractions may actually be good things in the church, but we get so distracted with them, we get caught up in them, and we're not doing what he has called us to do, which is witness. To share the testimony of his death, burial, and resurrection, the grace and forgiveness that is found in him. 
A healthy, mature church is one that is not easily distracted. Or one who allows that distraction to take their focus off of the primary task or goal, which we see here is witnessing. This section is divided up into three parts. It's like a sandwich. Two pieces of bread, the meat in the middle. The meat in the middle is Jesus' command and the extent in which that command is to be followed and how that command is to be fulfilled through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the two slices of bread are two distractions that are going to distract us from following the command of Jesus Christ. So let's dive right in and look at these distractions. The first one, we get too enraptured with the future, pun intended. Too enraptured with the future. The year is 500 A.D., Three Christian theologians predicted that Jesus would return in that year, 500 AD. They based these predictions not on the signs of the times, but they based these predictions on the dimensions of Noah's Ark. Okay, I, 500 cubits, I think that's some of, the, some of the dimensions of Noah's Ark. So they were wrong. Let's move forward a thousand years 1533, Michael Stifel, this mathematician, calculated that Judgment Day would begin at 8 a.m. on October 19th. That didn't happen. Emanuel Swedenborg, 1758, Swedenborg reported that the last judgment had already taken place in the spiritual realm, and we missed it. So fast forward even to, let's go to someone who we know, John Wesley. We all know John Wesley. 1836, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, foresaw that the millennial was beginning in that year. He said that Revelation 12, 14 actually referred to the years 1058 to 1836 when Jesus Christ would come. Fast forward to more modern times, Edgar Wisenant. He published a book 88 reasons why Jesus Christ or the rapture will happen in the year 1988. When it didn't happen in 1988, the next year he published another book, 89 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1988. I think he eventually passed away and he's not writing any more books. Folks, in, since the year 2000, over 100 end times films have been pr produced. Uh, that it doubled in 2000, 2010. I just saw a recent sermon not too, just a few weeks ago by a very popular pastor. The sermon series title was Six Signs That the World is Ending. But we don't need to talk about these things today because it's not really relevant to our times, is it? We're not really focused too much or distracted with Jesus' second coming, are we? Especially not right now with everything that is happening in this world. It's kind of funny. What, what is happening here with them? Now, I think that they actually learned the lesson. So, so before, they were focused on the earthly kingdom. There may be some of that mixed into this, but after Jesus talked to them for 40 days regarding the kingdom of God, I think they got a little bit. And now they are talking about not, not that kingdom, but the, the future restoration, the kingdom that is going to be restored to Israel. The speaking of the Holy Spirit prompted this. So Jesus mentions in verse 5 about the coming and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was prophesied in the Old Testament. We're going to see that in just a few weeks. 
through the prophet Joel. So they hear, they're looking at the signs of the times, aren't they? And they see, oh, the Holy Spirit's coming, the Holy Spirit's coming. That, that must be that, Jesus, you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus, again, has to shift their focus. There's two perspectives that we're going to see here, two negative perspectives. And Jesus wants them to focus not on the future here in this case, but he wants them to focus on what? The present. He doesn't want them to focus on the restoration of the kingdom. He wants them to focus on the expansion of the kingdom. I remember when I first became a Christian, I think it was around 1999. It was the age of 24, 25. So it was 1999. What was going on in the year 2000? Everyone remember? Anyone remember? Y2K, baby! If anyone remembers Y2K... That was, I was all about Y2K. I called my entire family. Hey, are you guys going to pull your funds out of the banks? Because, yeah, they're all going to collapse. Everything, no, we're all going to die. No, we're all going to die. It's just going to be terrible. No, I'm, mom, don't cry. It's going to be all right, mom. Yeah, good nest egg, mom. I'm calling people up. I'm a new Christian. I get all wrapped up in, in, in these, these end time prophecies. And what am I not doing? I'm not witnessing to the grace of Jesus Christ that just happened in my life, that has transformed my life. I'm too busy trying to scare the pants off of people because the end of the world is coming. Don't we do that? We get distracted. We get so wrapped up in these things. And it's not just end time stuff, whatever it may be for churches sometimes. We have our hobby horses. And what it does is it keeps us from what Christ has called us to do. Churches build ministries around these topics. We don't want to get too preoccupied with prophecy. I've been talking about it recently, especially everything that's happened. I just had a conversation with people the other day. Someone emailed me in my family, and they're like, hey, what do you think about all this stuff that's going on with Israel? I'm like, well, let me tell you about it. We just go back and forth with this email. It's okay. It's not our main priority, is it? Instead of focusing on the, the end of the world, we should be witnessing to it. It's pretty interesting what's happening here. You see another thing that we're kind of like kids at Christmas. You can take your kid on a space shuttle ride around the moon during December, and they're just like, are we going to be back in time for Christmas because it's just the most important time of the year right now? I just can't wait till I get my presents. And, and, and we can't do anything else except think about what is about to happen. And we do that in our own lives. We don't think about what God is doing in our life right now. We think about what we want him to do later on. You know, when, when I look at this verse, again, they are focused on who? Themselves. What God is going to do for Israel or what God is going to do for me. Not what he wants to do for the world. Jesus is focused on Israel, yes, but Jesus is focused on the globe in the entire globe or the entire world hearing the message of salvation. That's the goal. 
you know, I'm thankful, I'm sure you're thankful that those people were wrong, right? Because if they were right, you and I wouldn't be here. I'm thankful for the patience of God. I am grateful for His grace. And it's His heart, I think, that we need to have. He does not wish that people would perish, but His desire is what? That all will come to repentance. That's what He wants. And I think when people hear us get all wrapped up, and it's happening again right now, if you look up, if you Google about Christians and their preoccupation with the end times, it comes up all over the place. And then you got your neighbors and they're like, what do you want me to, you want me to die? Because <laughs> when, when Jesus returns, right, what happens to the world is those that don't believe and those that go, right, that's it for them. That's it. I think we need to be preoccupied with the things that he cares about, and that is people coming to salvation. And it's funny because I, I, don't, think that, I don't think that people who make those predictions have read this verse. What does Jesus say? He says, it is, it is not for you to know the, the times or the epochs. It's not, don't concern yourself with these things. But people who make these predictions must not have, have read that verse at all because they continue to do it. It's funny because later on, Paul's going to say this about Israel. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles comes in. The kingdom... The restoration of the kingdom happens when the world is witnessed to. It happens when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So we have a job to do, don't we? Our focus should not be on the future. Our focus should be on the here and now. One commentator says, how foolishly this warning has been ignored across the centuries. He said, what should preoccupy believers is the mission plan that Jesus is about to reveal. This is the purpose of these times. Are you distracted from it? Or are you focused on it? Jesus makes it very, very clear as to what you and I as individuals and as the church are to be, to be doing right now. We are to be what? Witnessing. And we are to be witnessing near with a willingness to go far. This is the main point of this entire passage. We are to witness and our witness is to start right here. And we must be willing to take that witness even further. So then what he says but you are to be, he gives a but there, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That is how we are to, how, how we're capable of doing it. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. God cares about what we are doing here and now. 
and that is preaching his gospel. The time period between the ascension of, of Jesus Christ and his return is to be filled with our witness to this world. He lays it out what it is we are to do and how we are to do it. It's funny that they are concerned about Israel when Jesus is concerned about who? The entire world. I use this terminology near and far intentionally because it's not just geographical, is it? You ever hear the greatest song of all time, Highway to the Danger Zone? Kenny Loggins. Highway to the danger zone. Take your ride into the danger zone. Yeah. Can you imagine if that song, if that was changed to Highway to the Comfort Zone? Highway to the Comfort Zone. No one's going to make me leave my comfort zone. I feel, like, I feel like that is the anthem of the church sometimes. We have a comfort zone, and we're not willing to leave that comfort zone. Jesus is pushing them beyond not just their borders, beyond that which they are comfortable with, beyond that which they are familiar with. He says, I want you to start right there in Jerusalem. And Peter's like, I got dibs on Jerusalem. Andrew, you, you got Samaria, brother. You, oh, Samaria is all you. Do, you. do you see where he wants them to go? He wants them to go to Samaria. They didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like them. And then not only to just Samaria, but to the remotest parts of the world, to people who are not like themselves, who are not like them. He is pushing them out of their comfort zone. And he's doing the same for us. Yes, yes, we are to go geographically, absolutely. That's what he's saying here. And a healthy church is going to do both. A healthy church is going to focus on missions right here, right in their backyard, and is going to focus on missions across the globe. But I think for some of us, going far is more metaphorical. Our witness begins here. It begins with your neighbor who may be near physically, or maybe near geographically, but who may be very, very far from you, very, very far from you religiously or morally or politically. Those are the people he wants you to go to. We got to step out of our comfort zones, folks. That's the only way this is going to happen. We may get worried about what people are going to think about us. That's okay. Their reaction may be extremely negative. That's okay. We need a love for them to overshadow all of those fears because that is what is most important. It begins with your neighbor and it stretches to the ends of the earth. That is what the church is to be doing. That is what the church is to be focused on. This book is outlined in these geographical reasons, re regions. They, they begin in Jerusalem, they go to Judea, Samaria, and then to the remotest part. That's how the book is actually outlined. 
they, they actually complete the mission that Jesus has called them to do. And every church thereafter is to do the same. But it starts right here. It starts right here. God may be calling you to be a, a missionary overseas, but he's definitely calling you to be his witness right here. One individual said, I wanted to be, he said, I wanted to, I want to be a missionary. And they interviewed him and they said, well, what are you doing for Jesus here? And he said, well, not much. And they said, well, please don't export that. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you ain't doing it here, right? If you ain't witnessing to people here, please don't go overseas and do that. I, I was talking to the mission committee the other day. They're having a meeting downstairs. Love it. You know, planning. We have a great missions committee. I, I, I tell you, just get to know them. Be a part of that. And, and we were talking about how do you do that? How do you be witnesses, right? Am I to go door to door, Pastor Mark? Is that what you're saying? You want me to glue my face to a pavement so people hear what I have to say? Do you want me to hold up a sign, the end is coming, talk to me? It's not like that. I want you to listen to this story. I think you'll be encouraged. There's a man, a neighbor, he had no interest in spiritual matters at all. And he related very casually to his next-door Christian neighbor. You know, they would talk over the back fence. They would borrow lawnmowers and stuff like that. And then the non-Christian's wife was stricken with cancer, and she passed away three months later. This is part of a letter that he wrote afterwards. He said, I was in total despair. I went through the funeral preparations and the service like I was in a trance. After the service, I went to the path along the river and I walked all night. But I didn't walk alone. He said, my neighbor afraid for me, I guess, stayed with me all night. He didn't speak. As a matter of fact, he didn't even walk beside me. He just followed me. Then when the, fun, the sun finally came up over, over the river, he came over and said to me, let's go get some breakfast. He ends it there, and his very next statement is, I go to church now. My neighbor's church. He says, a religion that can produce that kind of caring and love that my neighbor showed me is something I want to find out more about. He said, I want to love and be loved like that for the rest of my life. Be my witnesses, he says. The world doesn't need more of our end time prophecies. It needs more of the love of grace in Jesus Christ, doesn't it? You have no idea what your neighbor is going through. You have no idea what individuals are going through. And you have no idea how your presence and your Christ-likeness in their lives is going to make them want to know more about Jesus. That's being a witness. 
we get caught up in the future, we should be in the present, we also get stuck in the past. Second distraction that we see here, verses 9 through 11. I want you to do an experiment when you're driving home today. I want you to try to drive backwards, looking through your, your rear view mirror like, hey, Tom Cruise can do it, right? New Mission Impossible movie. There he is. And of all places that Tom Cruise can do it, he does it in Rome. Whenever, whenever I refer to bad driving, I go to my experience in Rome. If you've ever driven in Rome, it is insanity. Those little motorbikes are everywhere. It's like a swarm of hornets, and they're just really... But I Actually, before I was a Christian, I got into an accident and fled the scene of the accident in Rome because I was non-Christian before Christ's days because I was so nervous about the Roman police, the Carabinieri, the Italian police. But, but anyway, he's able to drive backwards. And what is the, what, what is the rear view mirror used for? The glances, right? You're supposed to glance at it, for those of you who are learning how to drive now, young, young adults. Glances so you, you can see where you have come from and what's behind you. Every once in a while, you want to look up. But what happens is the same thing that happened to the church. We can try to drive through our rear view mirror and we end up getting into a big accident. We're not moving forward, really. We're just moving where? Backwards. That is what I think is happening here uh, to the disciples. It's kind of funny because <laughs> after he says all these things, right, Jesus is like, all right, you guys got my mission. <laughs> you guys are ready to go. You're going to be my witnesses, right? First, you're going to wait for the Holy Spirit, and then I want you to go and be my witnesses. You guys got a lot of stuff to do right now, right? And then there they are. Where is he going? And Jesus, and they're staring at Jesus who had just, he's left, he's gone, right? That's it. That time period is over. They need to change and adapt to the new situation. They are gazing so much into the sky that the angels have to say, um, excuse me, <laughs> what are you staring at? What are you doing? Why are you staring into the sky? It's definitely an interpretation. Commentators, however, agree that this, this gazing, this staring, is, is accompanied uh, by a, 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 a sadness and a longing. And it doesn't change until, until the angel says that he is going to return. This is, you know, this is a mountaintop experience for them, literally. Is they're on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus goes up into heaven, and there they are, and they're just hanging out, and they want that to continue. They don't want things to change. They never wanted Jesus to leave. And churches can get stuck in the same situation, can't they? Churches long sometimes for the past. We call it nostalgia. They long for the past. They remember, so the mountaintop is all the ministry that's happening. It's the good old days when Jesus' presence was felt or Jesus' presence was experienced and he was doing all these wonderful things in the church. And when those things don't happen anymore, 
they go into nostalgia and they just want the good old days when, when Jesus was doing all those things. And we're caught looking backwards. And nostalgia is, is the first part of that downward slope of a death of a church. It's a church that is unwilling to adapt to its present situation in order to accomplish its mission. And it's stuck in the past. Stuck in the past. Guy calls it the pandemic of nostalgia. He says, we like nostalgia because it is a coping mechanism from change and from alienation. Merriam-Webster defines nostalgia as pleasure and sadness that is caused by remembering something from the past and wishing, wishing you could experience it again. And we do that in our own Christian life. We have a great Christian experience and we try to repeat it. And then our Christian life becomes about that Christian experience. Jesus wants us to do what? Get off the mountaintop, go down into the valley and go and preach his gospel. Go and do the hard work. The angels rebuke them. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you staring into the sky? <laughs> Jesus just told you what you are to be doing. Number one, you're to wait. Number two, you're to go. Again, these experiences are about us instead of those that Jesus has called us to preach to. Folks, a church that is, is living in the past, a church that is unwilling to change in the present, is a church that has no future. We need to adapt. We need to change. Leaders are going to go, come and go. A good example right here. Jesus was their leader. But he's gone now, and Jesus is always the church's primary leader. Pastors are going to come and go. Pastors are going to come with different personalities, right? We have different personalities, different temperaments. Ministries are going to change. Members are going to come and go. If we live in the past, we're not going to be moving forward into the future. It's good for us to have this conversation on our annual meeting, isn't it? We have to be willing to try different things. We have to be willing to change and adapt to the situation that we find ourselves in. It's not going to be like the past. And the past may have been great. There have been great seasons in the past, great times of ministry in the past. It's not going to be like that. As a matter of fact, we just went through a period of a valley, didn't we? The pandemic. We needed to, we needed, and this church did a wonderful job. We needed to change, didn't we? We needed to do things that we were at first. I remember having conversations. We're going to do what? I'm sorry, we're going we're to have worship service where? Out in the parking lot? That's what we're going to do? On a trailer? But this church did a, a, an absolute fabulous job of doing that. That is to be continual for the church in order for us to do what? This mission, that's the goal. That's where he wants their attention. He doesn't want them looking at the clouds, remembering the good old days. He wants them focused forward on what he has for them in the present. And then they give them the reminder that guess what? Jesus is returning. 
So get moving. Jesus is coming back. It's going to be okay. That promise, that, that knowledge, that truth should actually motivate us to mission, shouldn't it? Because let me ask you, when he comes back, what is he going to find us doing? Or how, we, how will he found out, how will he find us and how we used, used the time that he gave us? Will we be ashamed when he returns? I hope not. I hope not. The fact that Jesus is returning should be an impetus for us to go and preach His gospel, to follow and obey His commands. So we are not ashamed when He returns. We have a period of time right now, folks, period of time, every day, 24 hours. We have a choice on how we're going to use that time. We have relationships that God has brought us into. He's placed us in a very specific place here and now, wherever you are in your neighborhood and in this church. He's given you a circle in which to do this, to witness. We can be distracted with a lot of other things, and some of those things may even be good things. But if they keep us, keep us from this mission, And I think we know what we need to do. How are you and I going to spend the time that He gives each one of us? I hope that we spend it doing exactly what He's asked us to do. And I hope that we start here and we have the willingness to go wherever it takes us. Father, Lord, I don't always follow this. Lord, I know how much I get distracted. The variety of things. Lord, I hope and I pray that you would work on all of our hearts in this area. That we have a love and a care for this world that you do. Lord, I hope and pray that we would be pushed out of our comfort zones. I pray that we can begin right here and right now, that you would work through us so that we may reach places beyond our comfort zones and people beyond our comfort zones and beyond our borders. Lord, we have your power We have your spirit, and we know through him we can do all of these things that you have asked. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.